I like that closing. Help is on the way. I don't know if you you're a member of AAA or not. I have driven old junk for years and years and years. So I always wonder if the car or the truck is going to start. But I have some confidence that I know that AAA will be there within an hour or so. In fact, I, I really enjoyed it when my our kids started driving years ago and they would leave their lights on. Or they would break down, and they would have a triple-A car as well, and they'd call Dad and say, hey, Dad, can you come help me? And I would smile and say, call triple-A. But, Dad, I've got to get to school. Call triple-A. That's why we have it. Hey, I had a God moment just a few minutes ago. I, I just got to share this with you. We're in this series called Triple-A, and this is last Sunday, the last day, is only a three-week series. I know it's not four, so I have not completed the holy, the holy completion because I normally do four-week series. But the first week was anger. Last week, Mark did a great job and talked about being alone. And today is anxiety. But I got to share this with you. Remember, you probably thought like I was bragging about not being angry in the emergency room and the two young ladies. Remember that story? You guys that were here? Well, that young lady is here this morning in our church. That was one of the ladies that was trying to take my credit card. And and how cool is that? And how small a world is that, that God did that in this moment? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, amen? So I think I would say, let me take this giant leap and say, that there are divine appointments that we all have in our lives, and we never know who we are influencing and how we respond in such a way. And I wasn't bragging, because let me tell you, I can tell you some times where I failed in anger. I can, I can, I mean, boom, boom, boom. I could just tell you. But in that one moment, God did a work, and she's here this morning with her daughter and a friend. How cool is that? And, and there are, what 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 and 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 she said to me there's a couple other guys in her congregation that she works with and that just kind of completes self circle doesn't it the god works in every one of you bringing people unto himself and helping people to know who he is amen okay so we're kind of in a mental health series this morning, and a lot of times I need to address some things like that because I don't know about you, but the last few weeks, even in my life, and it's probably because I'm preaching this series, uh, is is kind of the crazy pops out. You know, you get on the you kind of the crazy train runs through your life, and you think, "What is going on?" Because this is so weird. These things are just happening, and I don't think they're random. I think they're what is reality. And, and and here's just some statistics to kind of help you understand this. According to the Kaiser Foundation, one out of every two of us are wrestling with emotional and mental health right now. One out of two of us. So look to your left, look to your right, and, and, and I'm not looking for volunteers right now, but if it's not you, it's probably them. And I just want to say... That I work with probably, we work in our community of faith, First Christian Church, is a very healthy community. So that may not be 
exactly right, because I think you're probably some of the healthiest people that I know. And so I know that's maybe an exaggeration, but in reality, as you go to work, as you socialize with folks that aren't a part of this church and aren't part of the Christ community, that that is reality. And here's what the Anxiety and Depression Association of America say. 40 million adults wrestle with anxiety every single year. One out of 20 children are found to wrestle with it every year. Uh, that, that thought alone impressed upon me was 20, 25 years ago. I was working at a junior camp down at Camp Indiana, and we were wrapping up the week, and it had been kind of a great week. But as we were leaving, uh, the dean, who was a personal friend, a good personal friend of mine, my old hunting bunny that passed away since then, but but we were passing out psychotropic drugs to fifth graders that had been been on them all week. And that just brought home the mental illness at young ages amongst us that we don't even realize. Only 36.9% of those with anxiety disorders are receiving treatment. And that's true. 63% of us who are wrestling with this are not getting the help or treatment that we need. In fact, I had some people share with me about their anxiety recently, and I thought, well, that's, you know, but then I had to think about my own anxiety and what I worry about and thought, well, that's kind of right. We all kind of suffer from this. And the statistics on anxiety and depression have increased by 50% from 1990 to 2017. So it's becoming more of a problem. Now, the Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, you may not be familiar with Ecclesiastes, he said this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And basically, Solomon, who was supposed to be the wisest man that ever lived, was saying that we need each other. Christianity isn't meant to live to be lived in a monastery or up in a high mountain as a hermit, but with one another. And you might ask the question, well, why is living so tough today? Why is that on the increase? I think more and more we are trying to do it all alone. We're trying to do it by ourselves, and we are not meant to live by ourselves, on our own. And I, want, I just want to say this. Our pre-pandemic versus our post-pandemic, versus post-pandemic, our church is stronger and more resilient than I thought it would be. And you might look around and say, well, that's a given. But when we were going through, going into the pandemic, I was concerned. How are we going to go through this? And realize in that moment, one out of five Christians checked out of the church, and they're not back yet. And so there are people that you know that you miss that need to be encouraged and loved on to be brought into back into the fellowship. And it's lonely out there, and I think they're still anxious and afraid. That would be my, my response to that, that we need to love them back. And so if you're going through any of this right now, there are two questions that I would ask you to ask yourself. How am I feeling? 
and what do I need? How am I feeling? Take your pulse, look below under the hood and check out your heart and say, how am I really feeling? If you come up with a one word answer like fine, that's not good enough. Check out your heart and then ask yourself, what do I need? Last weekend, I was gone. Mark preached. I needed a break. I, it was good for me to get out of my headspace and out of my echo chamber and go somewhere else and do something else. Maybe you need that. I needed that. You've got to take your pulse, look under the hood, check out your heart, and, and do it often because a lot of times we get lost and we're out of touch, even with ourselves. And if you can't answer those questions within two or three days without being, or if you go two or three days without being able to answer the question, you need to talk to someone, a friend, someone you trust, call one of, one of us as pastors, we're all available to you, and we will help you through that situation. That's what we're here for. And our church right now is 100% physical and 100% digital. And so we have people watching from Monterey, California, to Fort Myers, Florida, to different and various parts of Canada. Welcome today. But don't let this be your only church family. You need physical touch. Now, I am not a hugger. In fact, I had a little lady hug me because I said that in first service this morning. That's okay. I will take the hug. I will take the hit for you all. But this is a place where you're going to get a hug. We had a lady come in this morning that just lost a a spouse, and we had like five hugs lined up for her walking in through the foyer this morning for her. You're not going to get that online. And again, if you're online with us this morning, you can be here. You should have been, you should be here. If we're just noise in the background, that's not right. But if you're ill, you're infirm, you can't get here, we're here for you. But but you need community. And and, and my goal and my heart as a pastor is is this. I want you to be connected to God. I want you to be connected to his church and to his people in community. And and Dan said it, I've said it, you're not anonymous. You can't be anonymous in this crowd. We want to know your name. We want to be a part of your life. We don't want to press in to be nosy and to be controlling. No, but we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. And we want to be there to help and support you. Now, we, can't all, we, we don't always get there. I, I, there are places I, I don't get to every hospital call or visit with you. And I hate it. But within our staff and within our community, our elders and leadership, we want to be there and we want to be a part of your life. And, and as I'm preaching all of this, I want to say this, that there are people in the Bible that really wrestled with anxiety and with depression. I want you to know that that wasn't uncommon then as it is not uncommon now. And if you'll turn with me to one of my least favorite books in the Bible, Yes, I have least favorite books. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. And this is what Jeremiah writes. And I would call him the weeping, the depressed, the anxious prophet. 
of the Bible. And here's what he says. He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. This is the Jeremiah writing. And, and here's what he's saying. He's saying this. I am depressed. I feel alone. I feel like the walls are closing in on me. I can barely catch my breath. And he goes on in verse five. He says, he has besieged and enveloped me, enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. I am closed in and I am bitter. And this is what he says in verse 17. If you'll jump down in that chapter. He says, my soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. This is a state of anxiety and depression at rock bottom. And and you might ask, well, what is Jeremiah doing here? If he's a prophet of God, surely he has hope. You've, You've got to understand, Jeremiah was a beaten up prophet. He was nearly killed by kings several times, if you read about his life. And Jeremiah, in this, uh, in this moment, was ruminating, and that's a psychological expression. And basically, it, it, it is beyond anxiety that he was feeling in this depression. He was stuck spinning like clothes in a dryer, and he was just spinning around and around and around. Maybe you've been there. I was there when I was uh, new in ministry a long time ago, fresh out of Bible college, very idealistic, knew a lot, thought I knew a lot, but I didn't know anything. First church just beat me up. And I took it all to heart and I struggled and I was frustrated, and I was anxious, and I was worried. In fact, I worried myself into mononucleosis. I was getting married that year, and it was uh, debilitating at best. And some of the things I'm going to say to you today are from those moments, and what helped me, I hope, will help you. And, and I want to step back for a moment and say, not all worry or concern is bad. There are places in our United States, there are parts of cities that I don't go into. I'm not worried about them, but I avoid them because there are high traffic, high violence zones. There are, there are things that I'm concerned about that I don't think are wise things for me to do. I don't worry about them, but I avoid them. There there are warning lights that go off as we see things happening with our children or with our family or with our marriage where we say, hey, this is not good. Let's stop it here. But here's the difference. There's bad worry, and that worry is like a hotel room. Last weekend, I spent spent the weekend in a really nice hotel adjacent to my grandkids and daughter and with my wife, and, and, and they were doing their volleyball thing. It had marble floors, and it had nice countertops, it had a television, it had a microwave, and a kitchen. It was great for the weekend, but I would not want to live there. No one wants to live in a hotel room. Some people do, but worry is like a hotel room. It's okay but you don't want to live there. 
You see, when we move into worry and make it our residence, it shapes our neurological pathways, and a new pathway gets carved and turns into crippling or chronic anxiety. That's what happens. Worry takes takes place up here in your brain, but anxiety gets felt in your body. You see, worry, we know what's going on, but anxiety is worry taken in, and you don't even know that you're living in anxiety. Anxiety is unchecked worry that makes its way from your head to your heart that you don't even know what you're anxious about. It's unchecked, and it continues, and it cycles through you. Now, Today, as I preach, I'm not going to tell you to pray away the worry in your life. That's too simple. That's not enough. Will prayer help? Certainly. Do I believe in prayer? Absolutely, 100%. I'm amazed at what God does through prayer. But we're just not going to pray it away. Look, if you will, the Apostle Paul, as Tony quoted him in our communion meditation today, I'm going to quote him from the book of Philippians, and this passage has made a huge difference in my life in regard to worry and anxiety. And here's what the Apostle Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, the Apostle Paul is not saying that you will never worry or you will never experience worry. That's not what he's saying here. But what he's saying, and this has been mis- this passage has been one of the most misunderstood, mistaught, and misapplied passages in the Bible, by the way. But what he is saying here that that in our worry, when we are tempted to worry, don't let it go to anxiety, but what? With prayer. And thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Because worry is an internal false prophet that prophesies a hopeless picture of doom. That is what worry is. And and the reason why I worry, and probably you worry, is that things are out of control, out of my control, and I want to have control. So when I worry, it feels like, I can control something. But that's not true, is it? Because worry is a mental habit, and if it's a mental habit, then you can retrain yourself so you can do something with it. So what I'm saying basically is when we connect with worry and we have worry, we need to actually acknowledge it as such and then handle it rather than allowing it to go from our head to our heart. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Because here's the lie about worry. It's subconscious. If I, be- I believe that if I worry today, I will have peace tomorrow. And you all know that it doesn't work that way, does it? 
It doesn't get better, it gets worse. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is basically saying there, trust me. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this about worry. He says, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. See, worry is debilitating. It saps us of our physical, emotional, and mental strength. So what the Apostle Paul basically says, and what we're going to look at, is that we need to redirect our worries, and our concerns. He says this, he said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So we redirect it toward God. And we thank God for what he has done, and that causes us to pause in that moment and to be thankful and to remind ourselves for what he's done. And then we tell him what we need. Sometimes we need some affirmation. Sometimes we need some validation. Sometimes we need someone to come and give us a hug, as unbearable as that might be for some of us. Whatever we need, we need to take to him. Now, I want to ask you a question It's kind of personal. Are you the type of per- person that has mountaintops and valleys all the time? You know, you have a bad thing happen early in the morning, and it's going to be a bad day, and so you have a bad day all day. Or something great happens in the morning, and so you're kind of co- coasting along, and the day's going good, and you just have this mountaintop experience. Is that how you, how you are? Or, or, or are you like a railroad track? Maybe you never heard of the railroad track idea. Railroad track. You got two parallel rails running along. One is all the good stuff and one is all the bad stuff. And it runs along at the same time. So you're having good, bad, good, bad all the time. There's always something positive and there's always something negative and you're running the rails. That's my life. It's the railway. And you think, well, can I just have the good without the bad? Not so much. Not so much. But notice what the Apostle Paul says when we apply verse 6. Here's what he says in verse 7. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is interesting because in those moments, the highs and the lows or the railroad track, the peace of God is guarding. And this idea of guarding is an idiom like uh, like in, in America we say cutting corners or it's over my head or let's call it a day. Those are idioms. Those are sayings. Well, in the Greek, this guarding literally meant to guard a guarding. That this peace that God will give is so great that it will guard to guard you if you can enter into his peace. And you'll say, well, Chris, so far you, you you say, don't pray it away, but you just told me to pray and to thank God and to ask him for what I need. It sounds like you're telling me to pray him away. Okay. Let me get, I'll get to that point here in a second. 
let me to help you recognize that that this promise when you pray don't be anxious for anything but every, in everything prayer and supplication with thanksgiving there's a promise there in the peace of god but it doesn't mean that this peace is going to deliver you from your trial from your tragedy from your pain that's not what he's saying what he is promising that his peace will guard us in that moment may not deliver us, but it will guard us. So how do we do that? This is what you're wondering. Now, let me ask you this. This is kind of personal, too. Have you ever potty trained a toddler? If not, have you ever potty trained a puppy? Let me tell you my puppy experience. I love dogs and I love animals, but they belong outside. Okay, if I've offended you, so be it. That's just a matter of opinion. And that's how I've always believed and lived. So our daughter, who I love very much, I don't know if she's in presence up there or not. Okay, yeah, there she is. Okay, sorry, Jennifer. True story. She asked me whether or not she could have a dog, a puppy, and I said, no. So her boyfriend gave her a puppy, and the puppy had to be trained on our new carpet. Chris was not a happy camper. In fact, Chris taught the puppy a lesson. He took a little, you know, on YouTube, you can look it up. You can spot the little puppy on on the bottom with the newspaper. Not very hard, not, not to hurt it, not to bruise it, in case PETA lovers are here. So, so I do. What happens? The dog goes and poops by my bed. My side of the bed. Did Chris paddle that puppy again? Absolutely not. The Chris was trained, the puppy was not. Okay. All of that to say is that we've all been through that and we can train and be trained. Amen. All right, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying in verses 8 and 9 of this passage. says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Actually, in some translation, it says, fix your mind on these things. Focus. And, and I come from a school where I believe you can only really, or at least for me, I can only focus on one thing. In fact, if you're talking to me sometime, I'll ask you to repeat yourself, or I will have to have the instructions a second time. Part of it is because I'm a man, and part of it is because I can only focus on one thing. Here's the point. You focus on the negative, or you can focus on the positive. That's your choice. But Paul says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, he's saying, follow my example, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How does that peace guard us? It's by focusing on the positive. And and there's an eight-question test that he gives us. Here's what he says. Here's how you know whether it's positive or not. Is it true? I'll try to do this slowly because I see heads down trying to take notes here. Is it honorable? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it the right thing to do? Does it corroborate with what we know of God and what he's commanded us, what he's taught us and trained us? Is it pure? Is it lovely? 
Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Paul is saying that when we focus on one thing, it should be these things, the best things, the positive things. Now, our culture isn't like that, is it? When we watch media or social media, does it pass the test? What sells the news? In fact, I was talking to one of our older gentlemen this last week, and he was saying he was watching the news and he was concerned about the political environment and the divisions and how his grandchildren are going to adapt to this culture and the mess that it's in. And he was being sold fear. Fear. And it was making him anxious. And I said to him, you know what? I I watch the local news and I limit my news intake because they're just driving the herd where they want us to go. And there are people more powerful with more money that have agendas, all, all sides of the equation. But we've got to remember our country has been divided before, in fact, to the point of civil war. And guess what? God is still in control. He is still sovereign. Amen? Amen. And I just want you to know that hope is usually not in the headlines. So we got to go to another place. And I want to remind you that our nervous system is like a container. It can only hold so much. And our minds typically focus on one thing. Like I've said, when they overflow, that is where anxiety comes from. And it affects us physically. And our problem is that we tend to go to extremes in our lives. We have the tendency to either over-spiritualize things or to under-spiritualize things. But hitting that happy medium of knowing what I can do, what you can do, and what only what God can do is important. It's to be able to discern those differences. Because a lot of times people are praying about things that they can take care of and handle By the grace of God, just take action on it. Don't procrastinate. And the other part of it is there are things that we're trying to do that only God can do and only God can answer. We've got to put our our trust and faith in a God who loves us, a father who cares for you because you are his child. So I'm pretty visual and I'm pretty practical. There's an I can, a big can that says I on it, and there is a faith can which you put an F on it if you want to, that says these are the things that God takes care of. And, and just to make a point here, one of the things we worry about most a lot of times is our finances, right? And we can worry about them. We can be anxious about them. But there are some things we can do. We can, we can save some money. We can control our expenses. We can give some of our money away. We can plan a budget. Those are things that we can do. But if we're still worrying about it after we've done all of those things and we have a little bit of savings and we got those things going on, we've got to realize that God is the one who provides. So provision is God's deal. We can only do so much. We can't control the economy. We can't control the market. But we can trust a God who loves us, who provides for us. The other thing is, and this goes on with grandparents and grandchildren, 
that we have a tendency to worry about them getting hurt or being away or traveling or some, some things like that, right? Or maybe we're concerned about our security at home or the crazy that's out there in the world or the violence. We were in St. Louis last weekend and we were downtown, not too far from the arch, and my, our brother-in-law uh, was warning us that, oh, you know, there's muggings down there. It's murder, murder all the time. You shouldn't be there. If I would have known you were coming, I would have told you not to go there. That kind of mentality. And and we go and you be careful and you watch out for those unsafe areas or those, quote, unsafe people. But, but ultimately, we've got to recognize that protection is God still. We do our best and then we trust God. David wrote this in the Psalms, and David had some bouts of depression and anxiety. And if you would have had King Saul trying to kill you, you might have had that kind of depression, that kind of anxiety. And and he was a righteous person. It says in Psalm 42, 5 and 6, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's turning his heart that is depressed toward a hope in God. Now, I started this uh, sermon in Lamentation, and I'm going to kind of land there at the end. Notice further in this chapter, in chapter 3 of Lamentations, in verses 21 through 26, this is where Jeremiah arrives. Notice, from hopeless and suffocating, here's what occurs. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Here's a guy that doubted God and didn't even believe that he could hope in God. He's writing this, and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that the one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Here's an anxious and depressed person that in one chapter turns the corner. And Jeremiah says, I still dare to hope. I still dare to hope. As we looked in those first few verses of this uh, chapter, Remember, he was in darkness, and that anxiety feels like a darkness. But recognize this, that not all darkness is the same. I was uh, in Caesarea Philippi uh, about a year ago, and uh, there in Caesarea Philippi, Paul was in prison, and they had kind of like a dungeon, but it was kind of kind of weird. It was kind of like a, a cave in the ground, only it didn't have a horizontal entryway. It had a vertical entryway that you could only be lowered down to or on a ladder. Look down in that hole, and I can't imagine any danker, darker, depressive place for the Apostle Paul to be. And, and we believe that Philippians, when we read Philippians 4, that Paul was writing out of a prison and possibly could have been in a dungeon-like place like this. This is a pit that had very limited or no light. So there's a pit of darkness. 
It appeared that Jeremiah was in that, but but at the end of this chapter, it was more, I think, more like a tunnel where there was light at the end of the tunnel, and there was hope, and Jeremiah chose hope. So if you're in a dark place, I would choose to believe that you're in a tunnel where there's a light at the end, and there's a God who is our Father who cares for you that is providing that light. I don't know if you've had children or grandchildren, but you've probably been a child at one time. Probably, if you're listening to my voice. Just a guess. But maybe you had a nightmare, or maybe they had a nightmare. Have you ever been around a child that had a nightmare? They're screaming and yelling. You're in a deep, dead sleep, and you wake up, and and you think, gosh, I don't want to go there. But you get out of bed, and you go, and you comfort that child. What do you say to that child? It's all right. It's going to be okay. But what else do you say? I am here with you. The monster is not going to come out of the closet. It's not going to come out from under the bed. I know. I am here with you. And in those darkest moments, in those scary times, we have a father that is going to say to you, I am there with you, and he will wrap his arms of love around you because you are not alone. Will you please stand and pray with me? Eternal God and Father, we are grateful that you're a father who loves us, who is present even when we do not feel you. And when we are like Jeremiah and Lamentations, that we've given up hope and feel like we're going to die. We're at the end of our rope. But Lord, we know, we know that you are a good, good father that never leaves or forsakes that you are there with us and help us to have the faith to know that you are around and your arms are around us, even if we can't feel them. Father, for those that don't have faith, that haven't come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I just pray, Father, that you would penetrate their hearts and their lives and their minds, that you would show your presence and your spirit and your compassion and your mercy. Father, for those that need to make a decision to be baptized into Christ, I pray, Father, that you would help them to take the action that they need to do. And for those that are going through anxiety and worry and depression, Father, I pray that they will see the light at the end of the tunnel, that we might be the supportive family that they need. Father, we just pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.